Uh, this morning, I want to talk about hope. Hope is one of the chief characteristics of God's people. Right? It's one leg of the Pauline triad, faith, hope, and love. Last time we talked about faith. This morning, we're going to talk about hope. You'll remember that these are the words that Christians like to decorate their homes with. They like to tattoo on their arms. Uh, these words are important. Now, you might think that writing a sermon on hope would be a lot of fun, uh, but that is not the case, and here's why. To talk about hope, at least to talk about biblical hope, you have to look square into the face of suffering and of pain and of sadness. Because hope always looks forward to something that you don't currently have right now. And yet hope is vital for our lives. Not only Christians know this. Uh, in his analysis of American history, Andrew Del Blanco writes, we, meaning all people, we must imagine some end of life that transcends our own tiny allotment of day and hours if we are to keep at bay the back of, of the mind suspicion that we are simply adrift in an absurd world. Right? We need hope. Hope directs us. It's our compass that helps kind of direct the, the normal craziness and the disappointments of life. That's why if we lose hope, we say things like, um, I just feel directionless, I feel lost, I feel adrift, or I'm in the dark. Hope doesn't just direct us, hope also protects us. It's like a, a strong foundation. Uh, it makes you strong so that you can shoulder in the weather the different things that come your way. Not only does it direct us or, or, or protect us, it also drives us. It's our fuel. That's why if someone loses hope, they say things like, I just feel empty, I lack motivation, or everything just feels pointless. And so without hope, the normal suffering and the pain and the sadness that we all face in life will lead us to despair. So what gives Christians hope? What is, this what is this that characterizes our lives? What directs us and strengthens us and fuels us through life? Well, two things we see in Romans 8. The first is God's promise, and the second thing is God's presence. God's promise and His presence are what give us hope. Now, before we unpack this, I want to give uh, one brief caveat and then pray for us. I want to call this caveat the broken ankle caveat because, you know, we all know, generally speaking, like it's good for us to exercise 30 minutes a day. Uh, it's good for your heart, it's good for your joints, it's good for your muscles. But if you have a broken ankle, going to the gym and doing 30 minutes of jumping jacks or deadlifts is probably not going to be that good for you. And I realize that when we talk about hope and we talk about despair and we talk about suffering, there's probably some people in this room this morning that you feel like you have a broken ankle when it comes to hope. Maybe you are feeling depressed right now. Maybe you are having suicidal thoughts or ideation. You're tired and you're hopeless and you feel like you're at the bottom of the pit. And what I want to say to you this morning is, when it comes to hope, I realize that, yes, you may feel like you have a broken ankle. But if you're in this camp, there's two things I want to say. The first is this, you're not alone. We love to hear about it. People in this church want to be a place where you can, they can come alongside of you and talk to you and help you get the hope and the help that you need. And the second thing I want to say is that this sermon is still for you. This sermon is not two easy steps out of depression. This sermon is kind of the general uh, ways that Christians think about hope. 
And every one of us, regardless of how you feel right now, we all need to learn where God wants us to hook our hope. And so for that, let's pray, and then we'll dig into these, this text. Please pray with me. Christ, I thank you this morning for your kindness. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your great mercy and grace to us. Lord, when we talk about hope, it's hard for us because many of us feel hopeless. Many of us live with despair. We, we all live with suffering. And Lord, I pray this morning as we look at your word and we look at this text that you would help us to make sense of some of that suffering. And also, Lord, that you would give us a great hope that, we can, that, will, that really will build us up, strengthen us, drive us, and direct us in life. Lord, we need you, and we ask that you would help us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so what gives Christians hope? What directs us and strengthens us and fuels us through life? The first thing I want to see is it's God's promises to us. You see, it's this picture of what life will be. Hope, by definition, is concerned with the future. Nobody hopes for what you already have. I live in Corvallis now, and nobody in Corvallis is sitting around hoping every day that we will get a Chipotle. Why? Because we already have a Chipotle. Right? Anybody can go to Monroe Avenue and get tacos anytime they want. But for me, personally, I hope on a regular basis that one day there will be a Chick-fil-A within driving distance of Corvallis. Right? Hope is concerned with this better view of the future. Now, what, would you, what do you hope for? If you were to order up a tall glass of hope, what would you expect to be in the cup? Now, a lot of us, all of us, think about things here today. Maybe, oh, I'd just love to get out of debt. That would make me, that would give me hope. Maybe you'd order up a vacation, perhaps the ability to sleep through the night again. Maybe it's victory over some sin that plagues you and you seem to can't just get over Maybe you really want a friend and you don't have one, or a wife, or a husband, or you think about your own relationship. Maybe it's to, to fight less or to have a better relationship with your current spouse. Maybe it's happiness for your children, healing for your mother's cancer, a job you don't hate. What would be in the cup for you if you were to order up a tall glass of hope? You know, by default, we all look for things in this world to give us hope. We think maybe it'll be just around the bend. And God's word replies to us, you can't find what you're looking for here. The world as it presently is cannot give us the real, lasting, strengthening, directing, fueling hope that we all need. Now, why not? The reason for this is that the world that we live in, the bodies that we indwell, the relationships that we are part of, all things are broken. The world is not the way that it is supposed to be. And we saw this in our text that was read for us. Let's look back at verse 20 and 21. Here's what Paul has to say about our current world. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, or bondage to decay, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, I know that's a very dense sentence, but how is he describing our current world? I want to give you two things from this text. One, he says that it's subjected to futility. And what that means is that nothing lasts. Life is like a sandcastle. You build it up, 
And then the tide of life comes back and knocks it down. Nothing delivers what we think it will deliver. No marriage, as good as it is, is without conflict. Our health and our bodies will one day fail us no matter what we do. You can work hard. You can cross all your T's, dot all your I's, and guess what? Things will happen to you that you did not want to happen. This world is subjected to futility. Things are not as progressive as we would like to think or hope for. So the first thing he says is the world is subjected to futility. The second thing, which is similar, is that, is in, that the world is in bondage to decay. Now what this means is that all things are enslaved to this process of death. Just picture a tree that is trying to grow and thrive, and yet it has these vines that are growing up over it, pulling it back down. Things deteriorate and wear out. And we know that's true of our clothes, but it's also true of things like our bodies or our finances. Even our best relationships are cut short through death. Things are not the way that it's supposed to be. The curse that God promised to Adam and Eve in the garden for our rebellion has come true. You will surely die dying. I told you, a sermon on hope is not that fun, right? Suffering and death and sin and pain and sorrow are all intruders on God's world, and they are mixed into the beauty of God's creation, which means if we hook our hope in anything that is subjected to futility and in bondage to decay, we are inviting despair and anxiety into our lives. And so the question is, if we can't find hope here, where do we find it, and is there a hope that can face anything? Is there a hope that can face the suffering and the pain and sorrow that we are going to experience. Well, Romans 8.18 gives us the key. Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The Christian's hope is not here. The Christian's hope is in this glorious reality of what is coming. Christians get the first fruits now. It's like you get the first apple on the tree. And yet what we are waiting for is the full harvest. Now let me show you what that looks like. Paul rolls this out in verses 23 and 25. He says, Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that is, Christians, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies, right? this future reality of what's coming. For in this hope we were saved. Now, a hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And here is where God wants us to hook our hope. Our hope is in a world that is no longer described as subjected to futility and in bondage to decay. Our hope is actually the end of futility, the end of the bondage to decay. Our hope is the full undoing of the curse. Our hope is the full redemption of our bodies, fully restored bodies. Our hope is that our world and our hearts and our relationships will be brought back to the way that they were supposed to be because of Christ, right? It is this full picture of salvation. Sin is paid for, relationship with God is restored, our bodies redeemed, and the world made right. Our hope is God's promise of a grand salvation. Our hope is really what we see in Jesus in his resurrected body. 
In his book, Far as the Curse is Found, you'll find this quote in the, begin- in the front of your order of worship, theologian Mike Williams writes, Jesus is the beginning of the end of the ages. In Jesus, we get a good idea of what God is up to. We see it best in Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead. God's unstoppable goal is nothing less than the restoration of his good creation. The eradication not of it, but of the sin that has damaged it. Even the triumph of the body over death itself. We cannot write the story of the future intervening years. Meaning we don't know what happens tomorrow. We don't know what's coming next week. But we don't have to. We have a view of the end that we need to give us hope for each day. Jesus risen from the dead. Right? You see, this is what our Christian hope is. It is in the promise of what God is doing. He began it in Jesus, and he is going to bring it into fulfillment when the harvest comes. Our hope is the promise that as Jesus goes, so will we. And so without Jesus, we have no hope. But with him, we actually have a living hope that the best is really yet to come, that the harvest is coming. Now, you may be thinking, I don't know this is really going to give me much hope. Well, think about how the Apostle Peter, he uses Jesus' resurrection to give hope to a people who, because of their faith, had been rejected from from their towns, had been kicked out. They were refugees because of Christ. And here's what he writes to these people. This is 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Right? This is our hope. It is this glorious reality of what is coming and what Christ is bringing to fulfillment. So how does this future hope keep us from despair today? If you're here this morning and you would consider yourself a Christian, I want you to think about a new identity that Christ gives you. And that identity is that you are a pilgrim. A pilgrim really is a stranger in the land, a refugee, if you would. It's somebody who is traveling to your home. What that means is that this world is not ultimately our home. This world, as good as it is, will not deliver what we need. We are traveling through. So what do we do? We groan. Lord, have mercy. We long. Lord, please come. Come quickly. And we wait patiently for the Lord to restore all things. We can see this language throughout the centuries in the songs that Christians sing. Because our faith is a sung faith. You can see it in the spirituals that our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ sang when they were slaves in this country. They really embraced this pilgrim status. Howard Thurman, an African-American scholar, has said this about the Christian hope of justice and resurrection and judgment. He said, and I quote, It taught a people how to ride high in life, to look squarely in the face of those facts that argue most dramatically against all hope, and to use those facts as the raw material out of which they fashioned a hope that their environment, with all its cruelty, could not crush. This enabled them to reject annihilation and to affirm a terrible right to live. Right? They suffered, and yet they had hope. And I think we need to learn from these fathers and mothers in the faith how we sing ourselves forward because of the promises of God 
Because like them, we too are pilgrims. This world is not our home, and so we groan and we long and we wait patiently for Christ to come. You can hear this language in more modern songs. Sandra McCracken's fantastic song, God's Highway, says this, I see the shore, as in this is, this is where I'm going. I can see it, but I'm in troubled seas. This tiny ship that carries me, it is not yet, but it will be. So heaven come, it's you we need. Fear not, keep on, watch and pray. Walk in the light of God's highway. And so that's what we hook our hope in. We hook our hope in this promise of what God is doing. But that is not all God gives us. He doesn't just give us his promise, he also gives us his presence. God does not make us journey alone. You know, the journey from here to there, from a, from a broken world, from a rebellious world, to the new heavens and to the new earth, it's going to be full of good things and bad things, right? There's a lot on this journey that will happen to you that you don't have control of and that you will not choose for yourself, but they will come. That is the reality of living in a world that is subjected to futility and in bondage to decay. Paul lists some of these in verse 35. He said tribulation, right, pain, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. We could flesh that list out and say COVID-19, maybe job loss, cancer diagnosis, an accident, miscarriage, loneliness, violence and oppression, a breakup or divorce, depression and anxiety. I'm not saying that it's all bad, that the sky is falling, but it's going to be clear that the road from where we're at today to the road that we're going is marked with signs of danger and heartache and headache ahead because the world is subjected to futility and decay. And so how do we walk through life with all of this junk with hope? Well, God doesn't just give us His promise to look forward to. He gets down on the road and He walks with us. He gives us His presence. We think about it this way. Who wants to go camping by themselves? I don't want to go camping by myself. That sounds terrifying to be in a tent. And yet, you bring somebody with you, and all of a sudden it's a lot of fun. <laughs> the same situation. There is peace and power in the presence of another. And God, knowing that life is hard, knowing what we're going through, gets on the road with us and gives us His presence. And this is not new to the Old, New Testament. This is Old Testament. We love Psalm 23. Why? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. God gives us his presence. So how does the Father and the Spirit and the Son walk through us through the ups and downs of the journey? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 8. And I want to walk through these very quickly because I want, to get, I want you to see how the Father and the Son and the Spirit are with you on this road right now regardless of what type of suffering or pain or sadness you are experiencing. Let's start with the Spirit, and this is verse 26 through 27. Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit prays for you when you don't know what to pray for. 
He groans for you with words that are too deep for words. And what's super encouraging about this is it says when we are weak. It's not when you're strong that the Spirit is praying for you the most. It's when you're weak, when you're struggling, when you're tired of life on the road from here to there. The Holy Spirit, God Himself, is praying for you. He is with you on the road. What about the Father? He's there too. Verse 28 and 29. We know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. All things work together for our good. Now what we need to remember here is that our good is being conformed to the image of God's Son. God somehow takes all of the stuff that we experience and He weaves it together and works it for our good. Now we want to object to this, but before we do, we need to think about um, the Friday that we celebrated not too long ago, the Friday right before Easter. Right? We call that Good Friday. What do we remember on Good Friday? We remember the worst suffering the world has ever experienced, where Jesus, God in the flesh, takes God's wrath and his punishment for our sins on himself. That is the point of the cross. So why would we call that good? It's because in that moment, God used the worst suffering the world had ever known and will ever known to bring about the new and glorious end that we have been talking about. We are not adrift in some absurd world. God the Father uses our struggle, uses our pain and our hardships to conform us to the image of His Son to prepare us for life in the new heavens and the new earth, to prepare us for glory. Let's keep going, verse 31 and 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In our suffering and in our despair and in our sadness, often we wonder, is God even here? Does God love me? Has he left me? And what Paul's wanting us to say is that our suffering is not a sign of God's displeasure or his absence. God is for you. If you are in Christ, God is no longer your enemy. He is your father. He is your advocate. And what Paul is saying is that the Father is actually the chief um, architect and the chief investor in your hope. He is for you. He is, he is all in. And we see that in his giving of Christ. If he has given Christ for you, will he not give all things for you? The Father is with you on the road. Well, let's move on to Jesus. Verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation and distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword? No, verse 37. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just look at all that Christ has endured for you. He became one of us. He got down 
on the road as it was in one of our bodies, and he suffered for us. He died for us, and he rose again for us and for our hope. And he prays for you. Jesus prays for you. And he loves you with this impenetrable, unstoppable, irrevocable love that come what may, losing Jesus' steadfast love is not an option in your life. He is on the road with you, and he's not going anywhere. And so what Paul wants us to remember, the Christian hope, one, is that we have these promises of God, this glorious reality of what is coming as he is restoring all things. But meanwhile, as we are journeying from here to there as pilgrims looking for our home, we groan and we long and we wait patiently with God on the road with us, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. His presence is our hope. And this is the beginning of Sandra McCracken's song, God's Highway. She writes, My feet are strong, my eyes are clear. I can't see the way from here. I don't know what's coming tomorrow. I don't know how this is going to work out for my good. But on we go, she writes. He knows the way, and in his arms he keeps me safe. Fear not, keep on, watch and pray. Walk in the light of God's highway. This is the Christian's hope. It's been the Christian's hope for thousands of years now. God's promise and God's presence. And we're called to hook our hope here. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, then this is the hope that Jesus offers you in his gospel. A hope that can face anything. And so turn from your sin and run to Christ because he is ready for you. He is rich in mercy, ready to save you and to be with you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your identity. You are a pilgrim passing through with God by your side on your way to glory. This is who you are. And this is a hope that can face anything, a hope that can direct us, a hope that can strengthen us, and a hope that can fuel us through life so that we do not lose heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your care for us. Well, not only are you our Redeemer, not only have you done everything that it, has, that it takes to, to save us and to restore us and to give us life, but as good as the Christian life is, it's just the first fruit. And then we're waiting for the harvest. We're waiting for more. We're waiting for the redemption of our world and the restoration. And it's hard. And so, Lord, we groan and we long and we wait for it. And it's hard. Lord, your word says that you are with us and you want us to know that you're with us, that you are on the road right now in whatever we're facing. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe that. And that would be our hope, your promise and your presence. Lord, use that to strengthen us this morning, to give us hope so that we do not lose heart. Amen.